Two ideas when Jesus says the truth will set you free. The first idea is truth, and the second idea is freedom. They're both very important. Uh, Pontius Pilate, you remember, when Jesus is being on trial before him, uh, before Jesus is crucified, Pilate asks him this profound philosophical question. And what is that question? What is truth? We don't know the tone in which Pilate said it. We don't know all the motivations, you know, why he said it. Um, Jesus of himself said, I am the, the way, the truth, and the life. Yeah, so he said that in John chapter 14. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. There's one other place that comes to mind where truth is of utmost importance. It's all throughout the scriptures. Um, in Somewhere in the Bible, I think it's Ephesians, it talks about truth and grace, uh, truth and grace. But in Ephesians chapter 6, it, Paul talks about the armor of God, and he likens it to the armor of a, of a Roman soldier, and he says the, that the first piece is the belt of truth. It would have been the most important thing because it kind of like held everything else together, and Roman soldiers might put other equipment on their belt, and it, pr- it protected them also. It had a little bit of armor uh, on it that would would uh, protect them and so the first piece of armor for the Christian is the belt of truth meaning that we are people who abide by the truth we love the truth and all this so truth is very important but primarily today in today's message I want to talk to you about the concept of freedom now I've often quoted this passage in John 8 because I, I believe it's applicable to the life of the believer in many different ways And my spin on it this morning, I shouldn't say spin, but the angle that I'm looking at it is just today's angle, okay? Because I think it's a a core message of Jesus in the gospel for the life of the Christian, that, that when we feel constrained, when we feel confused, the way through is to find out what the truth is. And as believers, we believe that the truth is Jesus because he said he's the way, the truth, and the life. And therefore, the words that he shares have life in them. They are life-giving. They are nourishing. They are healing. They are redemptive and powerful. And so this concept of freedom, if I went to dictionary.com and it says that what freedom is, is the state of being free. And I didn't go to the New Testament, you know, the word for it. But I want you to understand the meaning in our culture is that it's the state of being free or at liberty rather than in confinement or under physical restraint. An example, he won his freedom after a retrial. It can be the exemption from, from external control, interference, regulation, the power to determine action without restraint, uh, political or national independence, which is going to play a role in this today. You'll see personal liberty as opposed to bondage or slavery. A slave who bought his freedom is an example. And lastly here, exemption from the presence of anything specified, usually uh, something like freedom from fear as the example. So you get the idea of freedom and why it's important. Uh, I think it's Galatians 5. It says that for freedom's sake, Christ has set us free, which would then put freedom as very, very important, just like truth, because freedom is a goal in itself. Do you see what I'm saying? That when... You look at values that that the Bible places value on. Freedom itself is very important. It's an end, not just a means. Okay, so if you guys haven't heard, Meghan Markle and Prince Harry 
have announced, I, I have notes here, Meghan Markle, they have announced that they want to step back from some of the full-time responsibilities of royalty. And some of you are thinking, what on earth does Meghan and Harry have to do with the message today? Well, Meghan Markle grew up in Los Angeles, and she lived part of her life in Toronto, Canada. She reportedly wants to spend more time with her family and friends in North America and less time in British palaces. So her husband, pictured here, Prince Harry, announced that they will step back from their full-time jobs as royals. Now, do you know what royals do for full-time work? They have a type, what's that? What are your guesses? I want to hear. Nothing. nothing. Okay. <laughs> Anyone else? Uh, what, I'll, pick, I'll pick on you. I want to hear uh, Janet and then uh, Molly. Yes, yes. Yes. Yes, Molly. Yes, someone else. Uh, uh, Lori. They wave, that's right. That's right. That's right. Someone else. There's other, and this isn't a trick thing. I'm not going to shame you in some way, okay? Um, Janelle. Yes, they're ambassadors. They sign contracts with Disney. Is that what you said? Yeah. Uh, what else? Okay, so it actually is a full-time job because they are these things that you've said, okay? And there's more. There's probably more that we could learn. But um, some outlets are calling the fact that Prince Harry and Meghan are going to step back from these responsibilities that you've described. They're calling it, I thought this was pretty clever, Megxit. Did you hear that in the media? <laughs> Megxit. Uh, it's a play on words with exit, but when Brit Britain, the United Kingdom said that they would exit the uh, European Union, they called that Brexit, so they're calling this Megxit. It has profound consequences for the British monarchy. Let me ask you why. Uh, Corinne. Yes. Yep. That's good. Uh, someone else? Did you have something, Savannah? Yes. If. I didn't know that. She has a product? Oh. A product, uh, cosmetics? Oh, did not know that. Um, that's really good. The conclusion that I came to was that if people within the royal family themselves don't want to be in the royal family anymore, 
then you've got a crisis. They had the same issue with Diana, okay? And it, it seemed that it crushed the personality of Princess Diana, but then somehow she rebounded. Or, you know, she, she bounced back, but then died being chased by the paparazzi. And her sons have been very, you know, influenced by that entire heartbreaking thing. So my conclusions might be wrong, but what many of us find astounding is that here we literally have a princess who does not want to be a princess. So many women in the world would probably say that they would want to trade places with Meghan. And many men would want to trade places with Harry. Is it possible to have incredible wealth, fame, palaces, yachts, trips, jewelry, a wonderful spouse, a wonderful family, and yet still feel captive to circumstances that you cannot control? The story of Megxit and Meghan Markle and Prince Harry indicates that that is so. How about you? You probably don't have those yachts or jewelry or cosmetic line or, you know, a, a title that's duchess or prince, and yet perhaps you felt captive and enslaved when in actuality you were free. Or think about the reverse. Have you ever been in adverse circumstances, poverty, uh, between a rock and a hard place? I'll just put it that way. Uh, stress, health problems, grief, loss, depression, um, you name it, fighting with people, uh, being fired, being uh, without a job, feeling hopeless, feeling lost, uh, those inward feelings of not really being at peace with yourself. Have you ever had those feelings or other circumstances around you and yet somehow made it through and lived out what the words, I love this, and I've been quoting it lately. I'm sorry that sometimes I quote the same scriptures, but Psalm 4, verse 7 says the following. Have you ever reached this place where the psalmist, it says it's David, King David said, you've put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and their wine abound. You've put more joy in my heart, Lord, than they have when their palaces and yachts and cosmetic lines abound. Could it be that a believer in Yeshua the Messiah could experience freedom and peace and redemption and purpose and hope in a way that even though we have circumstances against us, that we discover an inner freedom. Now, I want you to mark my words. It is the exact express purpose of today's passage in John chapter 8 and the New Testament overall to lead people to inner freedom despite external adversities. It is the exact express purpose of today's passage in John chapter 8, which is the hallmark is the truth will set you free. And the entire New Testament attempts to lead us into freedom despite 
captive circumstances, suffering circumstances, debilitating circumstances that happen to us. This is why Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, he said, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned this secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This, this passage just says him. Other, pa- other versions of the Bible say Christ. It clearly is Christ who strengthens us to do all things that we need to do when we are hungry, when we are weak, when we're suffering, when we're desperate. So in John chapter 8, the larger context, which we'll go through, uh, is, is Jesus said to the Jews, this is his people, okay? If he was Irish, he'd be saying this to the Irish. If he was uh, weot, he'd be speaking it to the weot. But he was speaking to his own people, the Jews, who'd believed in him. If you abide in my word, you truly are my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So here, it seems that what they're talking about is we're from Abraham. Abraham's an important subject in this passage, but we haven't been enslaved, at least not since Egypt. So we haven't been enslaved. They're talking outward political freedom. Jesus is talking about inward freedom from sin. And how we define sin, how I define sin, well, how does Scripture define sin? Scripture defines sin as anything not done in faith. That is in Romans 14, I believe. Scripture defines sin as lawlessness in 1 John. Scripture defines sin in James chapter 4 as the good that we know we should do, but we don't do it. So it doesn't matter what Mark thinks. It doesn't matter what our church thinks. It matters what God's word says. And God's word says that sin is lawlessness, sin is anything not done in faith, and sin is the good that we know we should do, but we don't do, okay? That's how scripture interprets scripture. And God wants to give us freedom from those things. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. And by this time, they are seeking to kill Jesus. I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you do what you've heard from your father. Do you know what he's talking about when he says your father? Who's he talking about? Uh, they say they're from Abraham, and genealogically, biologically, they are. But when Jesus says, you seek to kill me, and you're doing your father with a little f's will, which father is he talking about toward these, these people who are seeking to kill him? Satan. And that comes out later in this passage. Um, l- let me stop right there, and we'll continue on. The type of freedom that Jesus grants to us is inward freedom made possible by knowing and living according to the truth. 
The Jews of Jesus' day deeply valued freedom, much like the patriots of the American Revolution. Do you remember which patriot said, give me freedom or give me death? I don't remember either. It was, it was, <laughs> it was one of the American patriots. All, yeah, that was the sentiment. I think that's good. That was the sentiment. And you know, people in our day fear different things happening to our nation. You know what? Uh, we are Americans, and Americans value freedom. They will never turn this land into a land of tyranny, so long as the sentiment of America is give me freedom or give me death. We are willing as believers not only to fight for our own freedoms, but for the freedoms of the handicapped, the freedom of the elderly, the freedom of the unborn, the freedom of other races and religions and creeds. We are willing to work toward that, and the Civil War is a testament of that. That's what Lincoln said in the Gettysburg Address. So the Jews were very much of this kind of mind, and the American tradition received that. We are not just a Christian nation in our, in our beginnings. We are a Judeo-Christian nation. And this idea of freedom very much comes from Jewish roots. The Jewish historian Josephus wrote the following about the followers of Judas of Galilee, who I think is mentioned in the New Testament, uh, who led a well-known revolt against the Romans. I think Judas of Galilee is mentioned in the book of Acts, if I remember right. And Josephus said this about this, this Judas who led a revolt against the Romans. He said that the Jews have an inviolable attachment to liberty. And they say that God is to be their only ruler and Lord. That's from the Antiquities of the Jews, first century, chapter 18, verses 1 and 6. In the American Revolution, it was a popular saying. There were, there were many uh, ministers who helped recruit and fight. They called them the black-robed brigade because ministers in that day would all wear black robes, whether they were uh, Catholic priests or Protestant pastors. They would all be robed in black, kind of like a judge in our day, but with the clerical collar or some sort of uh, you know, thing, whether they were Presbyterian uh, the Methodists were a little more free at, at that time, but they called them the Black Robe Brigade. And there was a saying among the Black Robe Brigade that they, they, they spoke into the hearts of America from their Episcopal pulpits and from their Baptist and Methodist and Presbyterian pulpits. And they said that we have no king except Jesus. And what they meant is that George III, with his taxation without representation, will not be our king. And it went beyond that where they said, we don't think that having a king is even legitimate, okay? Especially if it's Prince Charles. <laughs> I'm joking with you. I'm bringing it back around to the previous, to the previous illustration. Um, little, little humor there. Uh, William Barclay says the Jews, uh, I don't have it up here, but he said the Jews set a tremendous value on freedom, which they held to be the birthright of every Jew. Why do you think the Jews value freedom and liberty so highly? Oppression, Oppression? yep. And, and I'm cool when you're answering. Uh, raise your hand and I'll pick on every last hand that goes up. Mike. Yes, they were slaves in Egypt. Molly. 
yes. Since they left what the Romans renamed as Palestine in the first and second century AD, they have gone from nation to nation to nation. And they've, they've basically been nomadic in a way. They'll, they would settle down in Spain, but then here comes the Spanish Inquisitions. They would settle down in Portugal, but then they were forced to become Catholic. They would settle down in Prussia, today modern Russia and Poland. And then here come the pogroms. They would settle down the last center of world Judaism. All these countries I've listed off were the world center of Judaism throughout the centuries. Germany was the last world center of Judaism until the Shoah happened. We call it the Holocaust. The next center of world Judaism, and, and all these. So the, the one now is the state of Israel. Before that, it was America in the 20th century. Before that, it was Germany in the early 20th century. Before that, it was Poland. Before that, it was Spain and Portugal and these different lands. And Satan has absolutely had a field day pushing them around. But in Jesus' day, it was their value of freedom was because they had been slaves in Egypt, primarily, and they had also been exiles in Babylon. There are two reasons that the Jewish people throughout history wish to determine their own destiny. And the prime minister of the state of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu, states that there are two ways in which Moses gave his people freedom. The first way, it's already been said, is by literally leading them out of bondage, the exodus from Egypt. And that exodus from Egypt has been the hope of every enslaved people on the face of the earth ever since. The Negro spirituals, when slavery, you know, Happened in the South, in our land. What would they, they, they sing? They'd, they'd sing these spirituals, which we sometimes still sing today, which are re-articulations of the gospel, and specifically how it was prefigured in the Exodus. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming forth to carry me home. And there were other spirituals that ignited fire in the hearts of black men and women, children and grandparents who knew that their subjugation to their white owners and at times even other races of owners was unjust. Lincoln said that it, it, it shamed the dignity not only of the slave but of the master that the institution itself was fundamentally wrong. And if you just apply the New Testament book of Philemon, I believe that, that every uh, logical Christian would come to the same conclusion because Paul tells Philemon, the owner of the slave Onesimus, he says, this man is your brother, okay? And he, he exhorts Philemon to receive him back as a brother, his own slave. So Netanyahu says that not only did Moses give the people literal freedom, but he gave them the law. And it wasn't Moses that gave the law on Mount Sinai, it was God. And the law within it had these words in the book of Leviticus, 25, 39. If your brother becomes poor beside you and sells himself to you, you shall not make him serve as a slave. 
He shall be with you as a hired worker and as a sojourner. He shall serve with you until the year of Jubilee. This was every 50th year. After 49 years, everybody would, would be free. And there were other ways to get your freedom, by the way, other than this. Uh, then he shall go out from you, he and his children with him, and go back to his own clan and return to the possession of his fathers. For they are my servants, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt, and they shall not be sold as slaves. A lot of times people say within the Ten Commandments because it says that you shouldn't covet your neighbor's slave or his or her property. A lot of people speak about how bigoted the Bible itself is. No, within the whole tenor of the Bible, you find truth, you find freedom, you find grace and healing and redemption. That's why I have a passion, and I, I know many of you have a passion to find out what the Bible really says. So I have a couple things, but we gotta close. Look up on your own, Romans chapter seven through eight, verse two, but I'm gonna take you to Romans 6, 16 through 23. Uh, in, in the first passage, it's Paul saying, you know, the things that I wanna do, I don't do, and the things that I don't wanna do, I do, but then he concludes with this idea, which I'll just read it briefly, don't turn there, but please do, if you have your Bible, turn to Romans 6. Uh, because a lot of us still struggle with a lot of things. But God's word, which is the truth, says in Romans 8, verse 1 and 2, Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now, I want to apply it in this way, because when we sin as believers, we're not any longer, I believe, characterized in God's view as sinners anymore. A lot of times people say, hey, I'm just a sinner who whatever, whatever. Well, when Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he wrote to the saints in Corinth. When he wrote to the Philippians, he wrote to the saints. In other words, you're set apart by God. You're now a saint. And we, we think like, wow, what do you have to do to achieve sainthood? Well, as Protestants, we believe you just believe in Jesus. And all of a sudden, you're a saint. St. Katrina, St. Scott, St. Glenda, St. Joseph, I like that, uh, St. Joy, St. Cody, St. Corinne, St. Pam, St. Sandra, St. Mary, and we could go on, uh, St. Caleb, he was wanting me to say St. Caleb. Um, and when we sin, we begin to think, oh, because we just innately don't feel good about ourselves. The truth is, when we sin as saints, we're saints who sometimes sin, but we're not any longer identified as sinners. The truth is this. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for me because I'm in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set me free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. See, you're not trying to struggle for freedom or find freedom. You already have it. And that's the truth. And the Christian who struggles with all kinds of things but knows the truth that he's already been set free, she's already been set free, will begin to shout out in joy. Will begin to have peace will begin to do a little dance and realize that I have love. I have joy. I have peace. I have self-control. 
I am okay with God. I am okay with my neighbors. I am okay with myself. See, sometimes we're trying to get comfortable or, or trying to sit ourselves down in a place where we are already seated. We are already seated in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. He's just waiting for the day to call us to glory, okay? Um, but the passage in Romans 6 says this, and it's kind of the same idea. Verse 16, it says this. Uh, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. So say, I'm a slave of righteousness. I'm a slave of of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. And that means that we're made holy. Verse 20 of Romans 6, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you're now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He has already given you the free gift of eternal life. And eternal life will go on forever, but right now in the present, eternal life cleanses us deeply. It releases us. It gives us freedom. Because for freedom's sake, Christ has set us free. 